Well, good morning, everybody. It is a rigid Sunday morning in the Delaware Valley. I'm Glenn Macnow with my pal Ray Didinger. Ray, I always got to uh, like to start with the Ray Didinger commuting report. <laughs> you uh, walk over from Rittenhouse Square over to Mark 24th and Market. Mm-hmm. How was the trip? Uh, <laughs> you know, people weren't exactly uh, all that scrupulous about cleaning the sidewalks. <laughs> Oh, is that right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it was sort of hit and miss. I mean, a few areas were cleared and some areas weren't. And overnight, obviously, a lot of that stuff froze. So yeah. you had to watch your step, basically. Nasty. But, uh, you know, well, bright blue skies, I'll say that. Yeah. And not not a whole lot of wind, but it's uh, it's chilly. But the yeah. weather forecast says we're going to be in the 50s by Wednesday. So just ride it out. There you go. That'll be fun when it all melts. Uh, but whatever. We live in this climate. We we accept it. We don't complain about it. All right, Ray. Um, so I want to start with this. Well, we, we got off at 1 o'clock yesterday, and there was really not much news. I was looking forward to watching both of our winter teams taking on a California team named the Kings. Mm-hmm. I predicted 1-1. One and one. Hey, Ray, 2-0. and oh, Flyers a, first a sweep. win of 2022. Yeah. Uh, Sixers play poorly but win. And anyway, around 3 o'clock, uh, I happen to turn on Ricky Ricardo on 94WIP, and he's talking about Tom Brady's place in history. And I I, I have to be honest, I think yeah, Ricky's, Ricky's got to f- find some more relevant material to open his show. Brady got knocked out of the playoffs, so, you know, a week ago, what, what's going on here? Except it quickly becomes clear that Mr. Ricardo is talking about Brady retiring. So... Before we get into the details of this, Ray, um, of of Brady and all of the things I want to ask you about that, here here's what transpired yesterday. ESPN, um, citing anonymous sources, reported that Brady at age 44 is finally going to call it quits after that incredible 22-year career. Um, and then a couple of tweets by the NFL seem to confirm the news. And then an hour or two later, Brady's agent, a guy named Donald Yee, would neither confirm nor deny the report. Uh, his quote, Ray, without getting into the accuracy or inaccuracy of what's being reported, Tom will be the only person to express his plans with complete accuracy. A lot of accuracy in that statement, right? He knows the realities of the football business and planning calendar as well as anybody, so that should be soon. All right, well, what do you infer from Mr. Yee's statement? Uh, that uh, they are not prepared to announce it, but they're not denying it. So, I mean, that's yeah, that's me, me as well. I mean, it seemed to me like he's saying, "Hold your horses," but this is likely to happen. Right. That, that's okay. So, I then, mean, my my take on it is that you know Brady and I felt that way at the end of the game. I felt that way seeing his press conference that day and then hearing the interview he did the next day. I I kind of thought he's he's getting ready to retire. It just it just had that feel to me, mm-hmm. and I think he probably said that to someone in his sort of circle of friends. Yeah, I'm done. This is it. And that person, you know, le- you know, picked up the phone and called Adam Schefter or Ian Rappaport, or somehow it got out. And and I don't think Brady intended it to be that way. I think he impl- I think his intention, which I fully understand, was to do this on his own terms. You know, mm-hmm. call a press conference and announce that he's retiring. The fact that somebody, he sort of told somebody the truth, expecting them to keep it in confidence, and as these things often do, it got out. So now they're trying to kind of get control of the, 
get control of the message here, but I don't think it changes the bottom line, which is I think he's played his last game. So as yesterday afternoon unfolds, the confusion continues to build, and Brady's company, TB12 Sports, uh, posts a congratulatory tweet on the end of his career and then deletes it. Uh, other reports say that uh, Tampa Bay, the Buccaneers' leadership, has not been told of any decision. Um, and then the Associated uh, Press reports that Brady told the Bucs he hasn't made up his mind. Uh, a TV station out in San Francisco where Brady's parents live uh, reports that Brady's father strenuously denied, strenuously objected, Ray, mm-hmm. to uh, reports of his son's retirement. So I think what you said is correct. We don't know, but but maybe, right? That's what you uh, – I'm sorry. We don't know, but probably. Yes. Right? That's, that's okay. That's what I think, too. Although, you know what's the thing with Brady is, like, he's the kind of guy who would get so steamed by this kind of thing happening. It's like, all right, well, I'm just going to play one more year and win one more Super Bowl to show you. Right. Because his whole career has been about, you know, it's 199th pick of the draft, eternal chip on his shoulder, and he makes it work for him. Yeah, and that's – believe me when I tell you, that is a very real thing with him. I mean, that's, you know, people have told that story and rewritten that story about many times about, oh, yeah, he's still mad about being, I can, it is true. I mean, that's just not, that's just not people telling the story. I mean, that's, that is really what has driven him to a large degree uh, to become what he's become, which is the greatest quarterback in the NFL, is, is his feeling that he was overlooked, he was underrated, he was written off, and it's his whole career has been an I'll show you. And so, he, yeah, he's capable of anything, yeah. but my feeling is um, that this is it. You know, he felt like he kind of made his point. He left New England, went to Tampa, wins a, not only gets what wins the Super Bowl, yep. uh, and then comes back this year, and although he doesn't win the Super Bowl, um, he has one of his greatest seasons. I mean, he led, the, he led the NFL this year in passing yardage and touchdown passes. So yeah. um, at the age of 44, there really aren't, many more mountains he can climb. And so I, I get the feeling that he's, that he's ready to call it quits. He just didn't want it to kind of leak out the way it did. Understandable. So if this is the case, uh, this would be the most significant sports retirement since Michael Jordan, although Michael Jordan took him, took him several, several attempts to get there, but this would be, right? I mean, this is um, a huge deal, and, and I guess I guess what I want you to do is spend a couple of minutes um, putting his career in perspective for uh, well for everybody, but particularly for people in our audience who maybe don't remember life before Tom Brady. Right, right. He's played twenty two years. I, I would think a good part of our audience never recalls the league without Tom Brady. And those who have been around a while, um, you know, what is what is his legacy? Uh, I think his legacy is that of the greatest quarterback ever to play, and I um, and I was a um, I was always a staunch uh, believer that Joe Mont in the in the quote unquote modern era of football. Mm-hmm. I'm not again. I'm sort of leaving out Otto Graham, Johnny Unitas, and those guys who I really think played in the past and really were playing a different game, different sport. Sure. Yeah, uh, it it really was. The game is. I mean, they didn't just. They didn't just change the game. They kind of almost invented a new game in the late 70s into the 80s with the West Coast offense and the new rules and such. So from that point forward, I, I was always a Joe Montana guy. You know, I thought that he was, I thought he was number one, and I didn't know that I'd ever see anybody come along that was better. Um, and I held to that for a long time. <laughs> but it just, it just reached a point 
with with Brady uh, just year after year after year that uh, incredible level of excellence and uh, uh, and his ability to play not just play into his 40s, which is rare enough, but to play into his 40s and still be one of the very best players at his position. And that's and, that's and, an incredible thing. And indeed an MVP in his 40s. Yeah. Uh, that That's when I said, you know what, as much as I love Joe Montana, and he will always be great. I mean, this doesn't diminish what he accomplished even a little bit. But Brady's the best. And there's just, if, if you deny that, if you're trying to deny that, then you're just, there's something about him you don't like. You know, you're jealous of his, you're jealous of his wife. You're jealous of his wealth. You're jealous of the fact that. Well, can uh, I do both of those things and yet still say he's the greatest? Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I think he's, you know, and, and the, the only. Yeah, he's this, got a pretty wife and a lot of money, so, you know. Yeah, and he's, you know, and he's really good looking and he's got, he's got everything. You know, yeah, he's, he's, he's never he's, eaten a strawberry and I enjoy he, strawberries. Yeah, so yeah. It's not going to work. Yeah, I mean, if, and listen, he's been a wonderful endorsement for avocado ice cream. You know, I mean, yeah. there's never been a better advertisement for the Which, for the recuperative powers of avocado ice cream. Have you ever had avocado ice cream? No. It's actually pretty good. Is that right? Yeah, there's a place in Kenneth Square. It's a, it's like a Mexican thing. And um, when I was doing, I know we're getting off base, but so what? We have a couple hours. Uh, when I was doing the taco hunt a couple of years ago, remember you judged the uh, taco thing? Mm-hmm. I went out to Kenneth Square and there was this place that had these incredible tacos it was just like too small to compete in our thing because they couldn't you know make 300 tacos but it was great and they had avocado ice cream and i thought i'll try this and it actually was really delicious anyway (laughs) that aside i think you're right and i think you know i think well you and i were talking about this before and you know i think the argument about greatest quarterback i think he's answered that you know pretty clearly the only question then remains is, is he the greatest football player? All right, before you throw that out, because I do want to have that debate with you, but I, I just want to throw in a couple numbers to buttress what you're saying. 22 seasons with the Pats and the Bucks, Reached the Super Bowl 10 times and won seven. Right. Uh, Montana and Terry Bradshaw, who are next, won four. Um, I mean, that's that's it, it's he's almost doubled what anybody else has won. Right. Um, he owns every career record there is to hold. No quarterback ever started as many games, won as many games, passed for as many yards, passed for as many touchdowns. He has started more playoff games than any quarterback ever. I mean, he, he has every record there is, um, both in terms of statistics and in terms of winning. Um, so, yes. Yeah. So then the question is, is he the greatest player ever? And the debate usually comes down to three people, and I'll just I'll throw it in and let you kind of parse it. Um, if you want to go defense, you would say it's Lawrence Taylor, and if you want to go offense or just overall, you would say it's Jim Brown. Of course, Jim Brown played nine seasons, Ray. Yes, and Tom Brady played twenty-two. Right. So you tell me. Uh, well, it's similar to the similar to what I was saying about Montana. I was always. I was a Montana guy who was the greatest quarterback, and Jim Brown was the greatest player. I mean, and I was pretty firm on both of those positions. And I really never thought that anybody would come along and challenge those two, to be honest with you. Um, but then at, at a point a few years ago, I finally had to give it up at the quarterback, and I kind of had to say, you know, I love you, Joe, but <laughs> Tom Brady's number one. Then there became the question about, okay, now when does he pass, when does he pass the big man? You know, when does he, when does he, can he and when he, when will he pass Jim Brown? Um, and I think he did, you know, I, I always said that, um, and I had the, I had the great good fortune of being, being old enough that I actually saw Jim Brown's career. Uh, I actually saw those years from when he came into the NFL in 1957 
and played really just nine years. Uh, but I saw this guy play, uh, and I've never seen I, I had never seen anyone as dominant uh, on the football field as he was. I mean, he was. You know, Bill Parcell said it, and I think he put, said it very well. He was a he was a before his time kind of player, which he really was. I mean, he was in the era in which he played. There was nothing. There was nothing like him. I mean, no one had ever seen anything like him, with his combination of size and speed and power, vision and his running ability. I mean, he was just another whole breed of cat entirely. And out of those nine years that he played, just incredible dominance. Of those nine years, he led the league in rushing eight times. You know, never missed a game averaged over 100 yards rushing per game for his career. Um, just amazing. Just absolutely amazing. And I always said, as regardless of position, best player, Jim Brown, hands down. But you look at what Brady has done, uh, and you look at how almost Gretzky-like his numbers are that he's done, mm-hmm. and his ability to play into his 40s and not just be a hanger-on kind of 40, but a guy who's still dominant his position in his 40s, competing for MVPs in his 40s, throwing more touchdown passes than anybody else at the age of 44. I mean, all of this stuff, I just finally had to say, you know, it, again, it doesn't diminish Jim Brown's greatness, but you have to admit that what Brady has done is unprecedented. So, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm, you know, in my view, he's the greatest quarterback of the modern era, clearly. And it took me a little while to reach this point, but I'm willing to say I think he's the greatest player that's ever played. Yeah, you know what? I mean, to me, it's an analogy, and you may dismiss it, but to me, it's it's like the Wilt-Michael Jordan analogy. Wilt was the stunningly dominant player of his era, and then Jordan, all those years later, came in and in many ways redefined the game. Um, so that's all great, Ray. Um, but for us, Ray, all everything that we have just said, all the records and all the Super Bowls and so on, for me, with Tom Brady... It will always be this moment. Boy, if the Eagles can come up with their one turnover of the game right here, that would be ceiling. Brady back again. He steps up, he's hit, and falls forward. He fumbled, and he fumbled the football, and the Eagles have it. It is recovered by... Yeah, it is recovered by Barnett. 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 Brady fumbles, and Barnett has the ball. They finally the Brady. <laughs> well, the game wasn't quite over, but, you know, we they won. And, Ray, that moment, that game washed away so many decades of frustration and bad memories for every Eagles fan, for you longer than for, for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and here's the thing. I can't even remember a play that Brady made in Super Bowl uh, 39. I, I remember Corey Dillon having his way. I mean, I, I guess I remember a touchdown pass to Mike Vrabel, of all people. Mm-hmm. And I, I know that Dion Branch had a day. Um, but mostly, I remember that Super Bowl 39 for, for Donovan having three interceptions and Andy not playing a hurry up. And I remember uh, T.O.'s huge game uh, and Westbrook not getting any room to run. That the Eagles beat Brady. That they didn't just win a Super Bowl in in uh, in fifty two Super Bowl fifty two, but they won it in maybe the, one of the greatest games Brady ever played. Right, five hundred yards. Yeah, Brady was fantastic, and they beat him. I know they beat the defense, but they beat him. And and Ray, that is why to me, 
I know I'm changing the topic, but this is where it goes to me. Well, that's perfectly fine. It is why Nick Foles and Doug Peterson will just always be heroes because that that guy that we just talked about, and I agree with everything you said, he's the greatest player in the history of the game, and his numbers are phenomenal, and his dominance, and his motivation, and all that stuff. And you know what? The Eagles beat him in what will be, uh, for most people in Philadelphia, the greatest moment of our sports fandom. Yeah, and and beat him when he was at his best. You know, it isn't like you beat him on a day when you know when he had a bad day, when he threw right. three interceptions or was off his game. Or, you know, I mean, when the Giants beat Brady in, in the, the at the in the perfect season, their run for the perfect season. I mean, Brady did not have a good game in that. Did yeah, not have sure. a good day. I mean, right. and and give, give credit to the Giants' defense because they created a lot of yeah, that with their, with their rush, with their right. pass rush. Uh, but you know, Brady was was way off his game that day, and. But Brady was Brady was cooking that day against the Eagles. I mean, 505 yards, pretty much doing whatever he wanted to do, throwing the ball. Uh, and Nick Foles, bless his heart, he went toe to toe with him uh, yeah. for four quarters. And then at the end, when and boy, you know, hats off to Merrill. I mean, I've heard that call so many times. But you talk about uh, just ca- calling the moment. You know, so yeah. right before the ball snapped, boy, if the Eagles could get a turnover here, uh, and that's when it happened. And you know, that turns out to be. You know the defensive play of the game, and but it's a day when, you know, Brady was magnificent, but the Eagles and Nick Foles were better, and that's what made, I think that's what made it so satisfying. And it's still, it is still the most prolific offensive game in the history of professional football. Yep. So the, the combined yardage of the two teams over eleven over eleven hundred yards was the biggest offensive performance in any NFL game ever, regular season, postseason, preseason doesn't matter. And biggest we'll- offensive game of all time. And, you know, Tom Brady was Tom Brady at his best, but the Eagles were better that day. And one of the most exciting games ever. Um, you know, I mean, like last week's Buffalo-Kansas City game was just a thrill a minute. By the way, our producer, Moshe Kravitz, just sent me this, this amazing statistic. Tom Brady has 35 playoff wins to him, you know, by in his career. Uh, in terms of franchises, the Patriots have 37. Well, 30-whatever of those are his. The Packers have 36. The Packers are the only team that has more, other than the Patriots, but the Patriots are him. The Packers are the only team that has more playoff wins as a franchise than Brady does as an individual. Isn't that amazing? The Niners and, uh, no, I'm sorry, the Packers and the Steelers both have 36. Pardon me. Packers and Steelers have 36. The Niners and Cowboys have 35. Brady has as much as every team except for those. I thought that, Um, uh, yeah, one of the, I I may have mentioned this, before, and if I did, I apologize for repeating it, but I think it bears repeating in this context. But um, Tom Brady threw, has threw more touchdown passes in his 40s than Troy Aikman did in his entire career. Yeah, yeah. well, you mentioned a couple weeks ago. It's, I mean, you think about repeating. that. It's I incredible. mean, Troy Aikman's yeah. a great player who's in the Hall of Fame, yeah, and Brady threw more touchdown passes than he did after the age of 40. Can they give Brady like a separate... Hall of Fame bust for each of his decades? Oh, my. Yeah, okay. And listen, again, I can be magnanimous with him because he's retiring. I just, you know, I've rooted against him for so long, so, so long. And it just, it allows, the Eagles winning that 52 allows me to smile when I think about all this as opposed to, yeah, and he beat us too. The the irony (laughs) of it is the one that they won in 39, the Patriots beat him. As I recall, he was okay that day. He wasn't special that day. He was okay. Uh, they were all, the Patriots did not play their A game that day. No, 
No. I mean, they were they played they actually played poorly in the first half. Yeah. The Eagles really had them off balance Every in the first half. What was it 7 to 7 at the half? Uh, it was a tie game. It was the first it was yeah. the first Super Bowl that was tied at halftime. Yeah. Uh, but in the second half, I, I give them credit. I mean, they adjusted, and the yeah, second yeah. half really became a screen pass and check down game. Corey Dillon. Yeah, you know, they just they just sort of you know took the Eagles blitz and made it work against them, and they started throwing short passes. So there was nothing spectacular that Brady did there for sure. That's why he wasn't the MVP. Yeah. Two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four. Um. One more thing before we get to the break, and we'd love to take your calls. We, Ray and I are just on until 12 today. We're getting preempted by um, the, the show, a different show, not us. So we're on until noon, uh, and we've got a lot of ground to cover, but we will certainly try to work in some calls. W- with Brady retiring, um, and I'm, I, I'm sure Rodgers is, is going to continue to play. There's been rumors he may retire. He's not going to retire. He's going to continue to play. And listen, he had a great year, not so much in the playoffs, but he had a – he could be MVP this year. Yeah, I, I, I think he will be, and I, I agree with you. I think I felt that when it ended, I felt Brady had played his last game, but I definitely felt like Rodgers was going to go on. But to me, the story in the NFL right now, and it's a really good story for the NFL, is they are not short on phenomenal young quarterbacks. Yep. With Mahomes and Josh Allen and Joe Burrow. Today we get to watch Mahomes versus Joe Burrow. Uh, Trevor Lawrence is in a you know a bad situation in Jacksonville, but he certainly has a lot of promise. Uh, anybody you would else you'd put on that list? Uh, those are the big ones, I would okay. say. And there uh, were some guys who were rookies this year. We'll see what Fields does. I would. I would certainly say Justin Herbert. Okay, Herbert. Yeah, I, th- okay. I, I think he's. I think yep. he's going to be a real special player. But the okay. but, but your point is that there are a lot of really good young quarterbacks coming coming uh, onto the stage, and I think it's a great thing for the league. And by the way, I think every name we just mentioned is in the AFC. Yeah. Which really shows you that that conference, you know, you never know how circumstances work out, but that conference could really be the dominant conference moving ahead. Well, you never know. I mean, everybody. Right. You never know. That's in true. In 83, the, the, the great, you know, what people still refer to as the great quarterback class that came out. Ooh, well, let me see if I can do this, okay? Uh-huh. Elway. Mm-hmm. Uh, Marino was at the end, but Marino those, and Kelly were three Halls of Famers all in the AFC. Correct. Uh, the Jets took uh, O'Brien. Yep, who turned out to be okay. Obviously, not special. Mm-hmm. And the Chiefs took that Penn State quarterback. What was his name? Todd Blackledge. Todd Blackledge, who didn't have a career. Uh, was that it? Was it five? No, there's one more. One more. Who, who took his team to a Super Bowl? Uh, Went to New England. It? Oh, um, Eason. Tony Eason. Yeah. So yeah. there were six quarterbacks. All came out. Wow. All pr- went pretty much all, all AFC. And, and all went to the NFC. Oh, I'm sorry. AFC. All went to the AFC. Yeah. And totally changed the character of the AFC. Right. The AFC became an all-passing league because all those young quarterbacks went over there, and you know what happened? The NFC killed them in every Super Bowl. Yeah, that's true. The NFC. Elway was losing all those early ones, and Marino lost his, and yep. Kelly lost four. That's true. The NFC. The NFC. It was really. It's one of the most interesting chapters of football history. Was that all those quarterbacks went to one conference purely by coincidence? But they all went to one conference. Most went and, to the one. Four of them went to the same division. And by all of those quarterbacks, all those great quarterbacks going to the AFC at one time, they totally changed the offensive scheme of the AFC. It totally became an all-passing, all-pass defense league. And the NFC just stuck with the old smash-mouth style of football, you know, the Hogs and Parcells and the Giants and all that. And everything worked fine until the Super Bowl. 
and then the best of the NFC played the best of the AFC, and the NFC team just squashed them. So is this a uh, Ray didn't you run the ball lecture? Uh, I'm, I'm not going to come right out and say that, but I thought it, I thought it sort of validated the point. <laughs> it was very subtle, Ray, very subtle. Uh, okay, I'm going to ask you a trivia question going into the break. You have the break to think about it, and one thing I know is that you're not going to cheat and look on the Internet because – I don't know how. Right. Exactly. This is not about morality. This is about capabilities. Um, with Brady uh, retire, well, presumably, if if Brady retires, and Ben Roethlisberger, who will turn forty in March, uh, announcing his retirement last week, who is the oldest quarterback in the NFL? You got a couple of minutes to think about that. Mm, okay. Coming up, we're going to talk uh, some Sixers and Flyers who both won yesterday. What's the last time we could say that, Ray? 1998? Uh, <laughs> I think so. <laughs> Might be. Uh, and we'll certainly want to take your calls. We're going to get into the playoff games later today. We're going to get into a uh, kerfuffle um, uh, out on the West Coast the other day that Jeff Garcia had, and I want Ray's opinion on that. And as I said, we want to talk to you. 215-592-9494. Ray Dinger, Glenn Macnow on 94 WIP. Ray Dinger, Glenn Macnow, 94 WIP. 215-592-9494 if you want to join us. Um, before we get to calls, Ray, I do want to talk a little Flyers and Sixers. Uh, we'll start with the last night, basketball. Sixers, kind of a down night, but they, uh, they come back from a 17-point deficit. They beat the lowly Sacramento Kings. 103 to 101, uh, a game that got a little too exciting at the end when Harrison Barnes' last second three pointer clanks off the rim. Ray Joel Embiid, yawn, just another 36 point night. <laughs> yeah. Makes it, may, I don't want to say, I don't want to say he makes it look easy, but he makes it look routine at this point. It, it's astounding how dominant he is right now. I, we are witnessing kind of the, well, I don't even know if it's the apex because who knows, maybe it get better, but a, a star in full, that is for sure. But the biggest star of the game, and this this has an interesting angle to it, was Tyrese Halliburton of the Kings, the point guard. 38 points, 5-9 three-pointers. In the fourth quarter, when the Kings got cold, he didn't. He got 14 points. He hit one one three from the corner that was just an incredible shot. Right at the end. Yeah. Yeah, 11 seconds to go. It's this off-balance three-point. You are correct. Made it and kept him in the game. Um, and it was interesting to watch him because the reports that came out yesterday early in the day were that the Kings took themselves out of any Ben Simmons trade talks because the Sixers wanted Halliburton to be part of it. And then last night he comes, I, I can't say he auditioned because that's not exactly what he did, but you know every Sixers fan watching the game is thinking like, w- can we please have this guy? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I got the thought crossed my mind. Yeah. <laughs> How could it not? I liked him. I haven't seen him a lot. I really liked him. Um, and the uh, the Sixers moved to third place in the East uh, after the win. I think, were they two, two, two and a half out of first? Mm-hmm. I, no, I think it might be closer than that. Yeah. I mean, um, I, I know, and, I, and it's just like we can always get bogged down in this talk, and it goes nowhere because there's this rumor and that rumor, and today Ben's going here, and then tomorrow the coach, the, excuse me, the GM says he's not going, we're not moving him, but they are in the hunt, Ray. They are in the hunt. They are. They are. It's, um, you know, it's a, especially in the East this year, I mean, you got six teams that are all, I mean, bunched within just a couple of games of each other. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, you know, I, I don't know how it's going to shake out down the stretch, but you got 
uh, it's definitely going to be a horse race. And the Sixers, to their credit, are are right there. I mean, they, I mean, they sort of were sleepwalking through the early part of the game. And I, I know it was a weird kind of day for them. With, uh, you know, they because the Flyers played in the afternoon, they didn't have their normal afternoon kind of shoot around, walk through kind of thing. And they looked just they looked just really out of sorts early in the game. I mean, they were turning the ball over, turning the ball over, turning. But they fell behind by what seventeen? I mean, they 17. were way behind yeah, to a bad team. Yeah, yeah. And but you know, but you know, you've seen this in the NBA before. If it's a bad team, you know, they have a way of showing you somewhere along the line they're a bad team. And in the second half, the Sixers definitely took over. But they it took them a while to find their stride. But once they did, you know, I mean, they took control of the game and. Sacramento did everything they could with Embiid. I mean, they were they were putting two guys on him and I mean, three guys on him. I mean, they were making it hard for him to get to the basket, but he found his way. And yeah. you know, and they were um, you know they they finally come out of that one with a with a narrow win, and they're you know they're right there. They are yes. in spite of the whole Ben Simmons stuff and all the conversation and the fact that sometimes the game that's being played seems like the least important Sixers news of the day. You know, they managed to keep winning those games and hanging in the race. And it's all it's all testament to Embiid as MVP because you're missing the guy who presumably was your second best player this year, your other franchise player. Yeah, he's the MVP. I don't think there's much question yeah. about that. Oh, oh, oh! I forgot. I forgot. I, I teased the question going in. I'll, I'll get to the phones in half a sec. But I, with if Tom Brady retires, following Ben Roethlisberger's announcement that he is going to retire, right? Ray Dinger, I turn to you. Who is the oldest quarterback in the NFL? Well, I know Josh McCown's retired because he's interviewing for coaching jobs. So yes, that, yes. <laughs> he's with actually no, with he's, no experience, but hey, good luck. He's actually uh, coached high school. He and um, he and Jonathan Gannon yeah. are the only two guys that have been brought back for second interviews in yeah, Houston. In Houston. Yeah. So uh, so, but uh, okay, he's he's so he's obviously not in the running for this question. I couldn't think of anyone else other than Rogers. The answer is one of my favorites, Ray Fitzmagic. Oh, he's older than Rogers. Yeah, he turns thirty-nine. He turned, excuse me, he turned thirty-nine in November. Rogers still thirty-eight. I'm a big Fitzmagic fan. I wish he wasn't with Washington, but mm-hmm. I've always liked the guy. Yeah, well, and he, he's he, he won't a, be. He'll be with another team next year. I know. He's yeah, yeah, sure he will. He's he's. You know what? Someday he would be one of the great. Tell us your stories because that is a story. <laughs> right? Yeah, think about I that. Think We're gonna be, have to clear I, a couple think, hours for I that one. I think that would. I think that would be a great one because he's yeah. he's got a great. Um, he has a great perspective on his career. You know, I mean, he knows exactly who he is. He knows exactly the kind of career he has. He's, you know, he's not a guy that has any delusions of being an all-time great. Uh, he's just a guy that's gotten a league and, you know, and found his way from city to city. And if he's, listen, if he's saved every jersey he's played in, oh, he, he can decorate every room of his house. So here's, if I have this correct, and Moshe will check on this, I think he's got like nine kids, and each kid like has a jersey from a different NFL stop of his. Like, there was a picture last year. I think it's when he signed with Washington. Or no, maybe that was McCown. I'm sorry. That might be McCown. Either one of those two has a picture of all of his various kids in all of the NFL jerseys that he's worn. All right. Let me... Did I ever tell you the story about him and his father? No, go ahead. When he was, uh, he was in high school. And he was a really good high school player. Uh, and Where's he from? Um, he was from Texas, I think. Okay. Uh, and he was a really good, he's a really good player. Uh, and you know, he's talking, the father was talking about me, you know, you might be able to play in the NFL, blah, blah, blah. Um, and all, a lot of colleges were after him and he wanted to go to Harvard. 
And his father was saying, why would you, why would you want to go to Harvard? You know, when you go to Harvard, you know, playing in the Ivy League, nobody's going to see you. You know, you do want to play in the NFL. We got all these big time schools are coming for you. And he said, no, dad, I'm going to go to Harvard. He said, but what about, you know, what about the NFL? And he said, dad, if you're good enough, they'll find you. Uh, and and he was right. I mean, and that's when you think about scouting today, it's true. I mean, you look at all the guys from small schools. Not that the Ivies are necessarily small, but you look at all the guys. The scouting system. He's he was so right. If you're good enough, they'll find, they'll find you. you, and they that's did. Good. That's good. Phil and Gladwin wants to talk about the Eagles and their quarterback. What do you got, Phil? Hey, good morning, guys. I have to tell you, I uh, listen to you every weekend when I'm out walking a pup. And the only reason I get out on a day like today is because of your show. So, oh, well, yeah, it's a rough day my, to walk a dog. My, oh, gosh, brutal. And my dog appreciates it, too. Anyway, uh, two questions for you. The first one, with the benefit of hindsight, I'm curious to know, and, and, and given uh, Gray's affinity for um, Devonta Smith, and we all know he's a good draft pick, would you have considered drafting Mac Jones in that particular slot? And if you had, how do you think you would have done under a Nick Sirianni coaching system as opposed to Belichick? Uh, well, I, I, I like Mac Jones. I do. Um, I, a lot of people were a little bit surprised that um, he got taken in the first round. I wasn't. Um, I, think he's, I think he's a good player. I don't, you know, I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not suggesting he's on the level of a, of a Herbert or a Burrow, but he's, he's a good player. And I think he showed that this year in the – you know, Belichick entrusted him with the starting job, and he did very well. I mean, he played he played really well. Not so good in the playoffs, but I mean, you saw you saw enough there that you know that he's going to have a good career. I think he's going to be the quarterback in New England for a good long time. So, so the question then is, how much of that was Belichick's coaching, and how much of it is natural talent? I assume there are elements of both. Well, um, I mean, you give Belichick some credit. I mean, Belichick really doesn't coach much of the offense i mean that's he really does you know belichick is kind of the ceo uh and he's def he's definitely the hands-on coordinator of the defense i mean he runs the defense uh but he really he really entrusts the offense to mcdaniel so i mean the, the, the actual the actual coaching and the development you saw from mac jones is probably more of a reflection of the the coaching of josh mcdaniel than than belichick necessarily but if you if you look at mac jones's background and the coaches he's played for um, he's been coached hard throughout his whole career. So that's, that was good preparation for the NFL. And I think that he's, uh, I think you saw it this year. I mean, he played, he played really well for his first year, and I think he's only going to get better from this point forward. Great, great, great. Second question for you, a little bit off the beaten path, but uh, we've heard a lot of talk about the Eagles front office, their ability to draft, evaluate talent. Other than Bob Brenly, who I think went from announcer to manager and actually won a World Series, I can't think of another person who ever made that transition from broadcasting into coaching. My question, and this is really directed to Ray, given your incredible knowledge about talent and football overall, would you have ever considered if somebody had said, hey, Ray, we want you to be the GM of our team? And then the second part of the Well, that did happen. By the way, that did happen. It did happen with, did. with somebody Ray knows well, with the New York Giants. No kidding. Right? Oh, sure, okay. yeah. Ernie, Ernie Acorsi. Ernie Acorsi, who was a sports writer for the Philadelphia Inquirer, um, covered, um, Thanks, yeah, covered pro basketball well, and the colleges, too. He, but he worked for the Inquirer for five or six years as a sports writer uh, and then got an opportunity to go uh, be a sports information director and then worked his way from that into being a personnel guy 
and became the general manager of the Cleveland Browns and then the general manager of the New York Giants and really kind of built the Giants team that won the two Super Bowls. And he's the guy that engineered the trade that brought Eli Manning to New York. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, Ernie, of course, he was started, was started in the media and worked his way in and has a couple of Super Bowl rings to show for it. I think it also happened, what was the name of the guy who was the GM of the Dodgers, the, the, the L.A. Dodgers, who started out as a uh, sports writer. Al, he was on the morning actually, show. Well, actually, two of them. There was a guy named Fred Clare, uh, and then later on, the, you're thinking of Ned Coletti. Actually, I was thinking of Fred Clare, but yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. And yeah, yeah. And so it, it is not unique, and it raises a good topic that I actually was going to get to in the next segment because the debate of whether you, if you didn't play the game, you're not allowed to be an expert in the game uh, came up just this past week. So we'll get to that coming up in the next segment. By the way, Ray, I, I didn't quite have that story, right? Because first of all, it was McCown and not Fitzpatrick with the jerseys. Okay. And second of all, it wasn't all his own kids. It was that his daughter had jersey day at school. It looks like his daughter's, whatever, 12, 13 years old. And he posted on um, Twitter a picture of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven different girls wearing jerseys of different NFL teams, all with his name on them. And the caption is, when your daughter has jersey day at school and doesn't have enough friends to wear all the teams you played for. <laughs> Two missing. So, so there you go. <laughs> all I know is that Fitzpatrick has beaten the Eagles with like five different teams, I think. Oh, I remember the Miami game. Oh, yeah. Like the Eagles were a good team. The Eagles are going for the playoffs. Miami was whatever they were, one and nine at the time, some horrible record. And he just smoked the Eagles that day. Yeah, he can Destroyed do that. Them. Yeah, he did it more than a few times. I know. He's always been one of your favorites. I just, yeah, I really like him. I think, I, I just like the way he plays. I like his attitude. I do like his story. I know he's a great teammate. His teammates have always loved him. Yep. He did a nice job in Buffalo. He was an MVP finalist with the Jets that one year. Yes, he was. He's, he took the Jets to the playoffs, right? How often does that happen? He took, he took them right to the doorstep. Had a bad yeah. final day, and they missed. But I mean, he yeah. was. I mean, he was oh, definitely. Right, he was, he, right. Right he was definitely. He was definitely in the MVP conversation. No, I've seen him. I I have never interviewed him, but I have seen him interviewed many times, and he is a very likable dude. And he has. Yep. He's had an incredible career. Yep. Two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four Ray Didinger Glenn Mac now on ninety four WIP Ray and Glenn ninety four WIP Let's get our pal Jack in Santa Barbara Ray Let's talk about the Sixers and I'm gonna I'm gonna get that uh, issue that our last caller kind of um, referred to Jack How are you dude uh, As I said As I said the most I'm a little little less snowbound than you guys Yeah I, I imagine that's the case Yes I do. But I did hear Ray say, dude, and I'm ingratiated by that. (laughs) (laughs) I thought you would pick up on that, Jack. I don't miss much when it comes to you guys, so may it always be. And and congratulations, Ray, on on your your Maxwell Club Award. Thank you. I know that means a lot to you. Yeah, it Um, it really does. I have a long history with the Maxwell Club. I really have tremendous respect for those guys and what they've done for the game of football. So to be honored by that group is, uh, that's, that's, that's pretty neat. I'm, I'm really happy about it. Thanks, Jack. Yeah, you bet. Um, so yesterday when I was listening to Earl, uh, be interviewed by you guys, the one thing that, that, that kept resonating was he always went back to the experiential playground aspect of, of his, his, how, he, how he played basketball and what Philly was about. He kept, mm-hmm. 
he kept he kept recanting, you know, hey, I'm Philly, I'm Philly, I'm Philly. So I'm watching I'm watching the team last night. I'm watching Joe and I'm watching them get behind by 17 points and and I think I think it was a good coaching job, but last night I got the feeling as a fan that the team was buying into Joe and that you know, I don't know anything about Cameroon, but but I think that Joe has gone Philly. And and I think I think he's been he's Philly. I think he's what? a very Philly personality and, and you know, he you, he kind of bonded okay. with the city. He bonded with the city a couple of years ago. Remember he used to just like show up at playgrounds and join in pickup games and oh, he's, okay. Okay. he he's okay. he's very active on social media in a way that relates to the fans of the city. I have thought that for I – mean, I can't say from the very beginning because we didn't really see him much at the very beginning, right? He sat maybe out he those years. Sto- maybe he got distorted when he and Simmons were not married properly, um, and that's what I'm picking up on. Now it's his team, right? Oh, and, no doubt. That, yeah, yeah. I mean, that expression he, he made with his fist, was full Eagles right in the middle in, in, in the middle of the Sixers game? It, oh yeah, it, it's like he he gets who who we are. He gets it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, I agree, and it, and it's a pleasure, Jack. And it's always yeah. a pleasure to talk to you, my friend. Thank you as always. All right, Ray. I want to get to this uh, this thing that that occurred earlier this week, and I and at some point I, I do want to get to the Flyers because they actually won a game, but we'll we'll sneak that in the second hour. Uh, I imagine, Ray, that you didn't really closely follow this story the past week involving former Eagle quarterback Jeff Garcia and an ESPN talker named Mina Kimes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I just heard about it yesterday. Okay, and and I don't I don't watch ESPN like hardly at all, so I'm, I am aware of who she is, but I don't really I don't know if she's any good or not because I just don't watch ESPN enough to know if she's any good. But that's not necessarily important for this story. After last weekend's games, she criticized Niners quarterback Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, She said uh, earlier this, or whatever, on Tuesday, she said, Jimmy Garoppolo isn't the reason the Niners are winning. They're winning with him, not because of him. He posted the second lowest quarterback rating in 15 years against the Packers. Seems reasonable to you? Yeah. Okay. I mean, not a lot to disagree with there? No. Well, Jeff Garcia took exception. Remember, Jeff Garcia was a quarterback with the Niners. That's where he had his the the, mo- the largest part of his career. And he went on Instagram and said that Mina Kimes is not allowed to criticize Jimmy Garoppolo because she didn't play in the NFL. Uh, and this is, uh, this is exactly what he said. Who the hell is Mina Kimes, and when is the last time she threw a touchdown pass in a game? Never, ever. Has she taken a snap or can truly understand the ability, the mindset, the physical and mental toughness that it takes to play the quarterback position or any position in the NFL? Um, first of all, the sexist, I think it probably... Oh, without doubt. It, without yeah, doubt. That's, it, that's certainly part of it. It, it always does amaze me how many of our... Uh, where are we? We're XY chromosome, right? How many of our XY chromosome colleagues still cannot deal with a a woman talking sports i mean there's ray there are dinosaurs walking among us uh yes i think that's fair to say okay 
He insists that it wasn't sexist. Uh, he went on a radio show later in the week in San Francisco. By the way, ended up hanging up on the hosts when they wanted to talk about this. But he said that his overall point was not about her being a woman, but his overall point was that only people who played football are allowed to comment on football players. And if you never played quarterback and never played it at an elite level, you just don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Ray, first of all, I want you to tell me about the your NFL career taking snaps from Guy Morris. <laughs> uh, that never happened. Oh, what? Well, <laughs> Ray. Okay. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about you for a second. Ray Dinger is regarded as one of the foremost authorities on football, not just in the Delaware Valley, but in the country. Ray's uh, ability to write about, describe, and translate football for fans has landed him on, in Canton on the plaque of the all-time greats who have covered the game. So, Ray, to paraphrase from Jeff Garcia... What the hell do you know? <laughs> it's you know it's it's a it's an old old argument and it's very tired at this point. Uh, but I've been dealing with it, and not just me, but I mean everybody that's a, that's a, been on the football beat has dealt with it some at some point or another. Where you know you write something uh, about a team or a player, uh, and you know you got a locker room with fifty three odd guys and. You know, there some guys will just roll with it, and other guys will get upset. And so somebody's going to come up to you and challenge you and your point of view. And at some point in the argument, without fail, there, there's going to be the what? Well, what do you know? You never played the game. I mean, it. I remember the first guy that did it with me. I still remember the first guy that did it with me. It was a guy? Oh, yeah, named, who is that? Was a guy named Art Malone, who was a, a running back. Who Art Malone? Didn't he own the Cheers? Uh, no, different. That's Sam Malone. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, Art Malone was a running back uh, who was, was a good player. I mean, he had uh, had a few good years in Atlanta, uh, sort of came to Philadelphia at the, at the tail end of his career, uh, and um, nice enough guy. Uh, but that was, you know, I, the Eagles were a really bad team when he got here, and I, I had no problem pointing that out. And, uh, and that was what he said to me one day, he, you know, in, in the locker room in front of a, a lot of people. You know, it was sort of a, what, what do you know? You never played the game. And I, you know, and my response to him at the time would be, you know, with the same response I'd have today. Well, you know, that's, are you, by using your logic here, you would, you, are you kind of saying that someone would have had to have been president of the United States to cover the White House? Right. Or that someone would have had to direct a major motion picture to be a movie critic? You know, it's just mm-hmm. you know, it, it right. doesn't. You can't be a medical writer unless you went to medical school. Yeah, right? unless yeah. you've unless all, you've all unless things. you've removed somebody's appendix. You know, sure. I mean, it doesn't. It doesn't. It you know, the two don't necessarily have to apply. Mm-hmm. And and I've always felt that way. And I know I know the guys. And listen, you know the guys who've worked alongside them in the press box. You know, these guys are smart. I mean, they, you know, and I'm saying guys. Here, I'm being sexist. I mean, the people that work in the press box and cover the, and cover these games are very smart. They they've been around it a long time. They know the ins and the outs, and okay, maybe you know they don't know all the terminology, and they don't necessarily know all the strategy at any given point. But you know what's going on, and and more importantly, you know what's good and you know what's bad, and you can make that evaluation. But the player, the players, and sometimes the coaches will fall back on that. I mean, Jim Mora, remember the Jim Mora press conference? Sure. The, you know, 
you you think you know, but you don't know. Yeah, you know, and and then he finished it up by saying, "And you never will." You never, yeah, yeah. And I think I, he spoke for a lot of guys, and I kind of get that. Mm-hmm. And I like Jim. I've known him since he was coaching the Stars. We're you know we get along just fine. But he has that belief. A lot of these guys have that belief, but. I don't think it's true because I think the people that are in our business, look, you have a lot of guys that just pop off and are just hot take artists, and I kind of see them for what they well, are. Well, and Mina Kimes, again, I don't know her well enough to pass judgment, but she works on a network where that is kind of stock and trade with a lot of people. Of course, of course. But if she, if her observation was, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo ain't, exa- ain't exactly <laughs> right. an NFL superstar. That, that was her point. I, I, find, I think that's a very hard point to argue against, to yeah, be honest she, with she you. She grabbed some low-hanging fruit there. That's yeah, exactly. A tough one. Yeah, sure. And listen, I also, um, well, I agree with everything you said, I also, in a certain sense, appreciate what Morris said in the manner of, and this is somewhere that I respect you, and also some of the guys I know doing it today will go and look at the tape during the week, which didn't used to really be available. It wasn't available, right. Right. And I remember one time, I think I was talking to John Runyon. Remember John did the pregame with us for a year or two? Sure. And I remember talking to him one time, and I forget the context of exactly what it was, but he he basically said, look, and he wasn't trying to criticize, I, I don't think it was directed at me, but he wasn't trying to criticize people who do what we do, or reporters, or fans, or whatever, but he said essentially like, you guys will see a play on the field, and you will see somebody, you know, uh, uh, somebody beat somebody, or you think that somebody beat somebody. But it really is sometimes that the guy next to him may have blown his assignment. Right. So it'll look like, and I don't think he was saying I, but I'll just put it in that context, like I failed to pick up the blitzer, whereas I was supposed to pick up the defensive tackle and the running back was supposed to pick up the blitzer. Again, he wasn't being defensive about it, but I do think there is an element of truth in that, okay? Oh, sure. But for... Garcia to say, if you didn't play quarterback in the NFL, you never have the right to have an opinion on it. <laughs> it's just insanely ridiculous. And by the way, he ended his conversation by saying, and now we, and this is true, and now we must all get behind Jimmy, go Niners. I, yeah, I saw that. So, I saw that. Well, so, you know, I, I mean, where's your credibility? Sure. I know, um, you know, in my, in the book that I wrote, Finish Business, when I kind of just, the book that just came out where I kind of write about my career. I write about my first Eagles training camp in 1970 when I was just a kid. I'm 23 years old. I'm just out of college. I've been handed the job of covering the Eagles for the Philadelphia Bulletin, a mammoth job, a mammoth responsibility. And I go up to their training camp, and I'm watching practice, and I'm writing three, four stories a day trying to compete with the veteran writers. And I'm walking off the practice field one day, and one of the assistant coaches, a great guy named Charlie Gower, uh, takes me aside. And he says, you know, I still remember him saying, he said, you know, you really seem like a nice boy. Uh, and I can tell you're trying really hard, but you really don't know a whole lot about football. And he said, and he said, but he said, I, you know, I respect the fact that I know you're trying to do a good job. So he said, every night in my room in the dorms, I watch film. If you want to come up there, I'm, you know, it's up to you. If you want to, but if you want to come up there, just knock on my door, come on in. Maybe I can teach you a few things. And so I did. You know, I'm, I mean, like two, three times a week, I didn't want to make a pest of myself and go every night, but two or three times a week, I would go up and I'd knock on Charlie's door. He would bring me in and he would put some film on and he showed me really the inner workings of pro football and, you know, exactly the kind of stuff that Runyon was talking about, about, okay, tell me what happened on this play. And I would say, and he'd say, no, that's not what happened on this play. 
that was this guy's responsibility. That's what his assignment was. The guy who screwed up is this guy over here. And what I learned in the course of that summer, working with Charlie, watching the film, was just really how complex this game was. And it was a tremendous education, and that's why moving forward, and now we're 50 years later, you know, I've always tried to be a guy that really studied it. And off, when I offer an opinion, I try to make it as valid an opinion as I possibly can because there is a lot of nuance to this game, and it isn't an easy game to fully understand. And before you pass, offer an opinion or offer a criticism, you really, do, you really do kind of owe it to the coaches and players to know what you're talking about. And I've tried to do that, but, you know, it's, it's never going to totally wash with the coaches and players because they're just right. always going to assume, well, you can't possibly know what I know. And my feeling is I may not know everything you know, but I think I know enough. And there are people in our business, in, in media, on TV, and, and who write, who can be lazy. I mean, that, that does exist. And I think if you're a player and you get burned by that, you're going to think, oh, well, they're all like that. Um, sure. And that, that's the way it happens. But Garcia was uh, whatever. Okay, good. I like. I, I enjoyed that discussion. Greg in uh, South Florida actually wants to talk about that Jeff Garcia moment. Go ahead, Greg. How are you? today all right well you know i went to the flyers game with you a long time ago glenn and came to see nfl films with you ray years uh, ago oh okay cool Two highlights now you kind of remember who i am um personally really i really want to talk about the flyers <laughs> okay <laughs> i want to stay away from the espn thing but um i i, I can't stand the espn and i'm just yeah i just can't deal with it but the Flyers. Yesterday I called Howard and I said, I personally believe that Dave Scott and Chuck Fletcher need to be removed. I don't think either one of them should have any input in moving the assets that we currently have. I think Danny Briere at this point has probably learned enough since Homer, you know, got him in the program, the minor leagues. I think Danny should be named the president and the GM until he evaluate, you know, let them evaluate the rest of the season. Then they could name a GM or an assistant, then a coach, the new coaching staff, and whatnot. I don't think throwing money at analytics. Dave Scott knows nothing. Look, he's a nice man, but he was Ed Snyder's buddy. He knows nothing about hockey. This this team, we've seen the results. Sometimes I think about trading Giroux. I said it three, four years ago when they should have rebuilt. They should have traded him. Now I'm almost looking at him. I was like, you know what? Maybe I'm going to re-sign him if he wants to stay after the season for maybe a two, three-year deal no, or a reduced no, no, rate. No, no, no. no you can get, some, you can get I, something I, for him. I for go the back and forth. Yeah, no. Nah. He needs to move forward. But they need to remove these two gentlemen and name Danny, and let's get through the season and evaluate. You know, Stevie Y is doing a great job. Uh, Joey Sackett is doing a great job. You know, I think. Danny came to this franchise when they were on the balls of their butt, if you remember, and he helped turn it around back then. I think it's time for him to come back again. Greg, I got to take a break, but that was a really good rant, and when we get back, we'll talk a little Flyers, and Thank I appreciate you so that. Much, it's everybody. very nice to talk to you. Let's, let's hit the top of the hour, and Ray, we'll get a little Flyers in the next segment. 215-592-9494. Ray and Glenn on 94 WIP.